Hallelujah, Jesus. Isn't he worthy? Giving him every praise. We worship you tonight. We magnify you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. Hallelujah. Amen. He deserves all of our praise, right? From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is going to be praised and lifted up, exalted. Amen. We are at the end of the day, and we're still praising God. Amen. What a great way to close out the day. You know, uh, the song says, every praise is to our God. You know, you know that you can praise the enemy? Talk about how strong the enemy is or how bad your situation is or how terrible things are. That's giving praise to the enemy. I don't want to be doing that. I want to be giving every praise to our God because our God is bigger. Our God is greater. Our God is more powerful than our, our adversary. Therefore, no praises should be going to the enemy, but all of them are going to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We want to make God bigger in our lives, in our perspective, because he really is that big. Amen. So good to see everyone here tonight to worship the Lord together. Amen. Thank you for your continued giving and the offering, whether physically or electronically. Amen. Supporting and blessing the kingdom of God because we know that, amen, God gives us back, gives, gives it back to us in many ways. Amen. We are blessed to give and Lord loves a cheerful giver. And I'm always happy to give to the Lord because I know He's going to be there for me. Amen. Amen. Um, in about two weeks or so, we got to have our annual uh, business meeting, Tuesday the 23rd, I think. Uh, about 6.30, right before prayer, 6.30, we'll have our annual business, business meeting, 25th. Okay. It's 25th. Um, we'll have it there, 6.30 here, and then go right into prayer after that. Amen. So uh, put that down for you. Amen. Kids Church can be dismissed tonight. Amen. And um, we are st having started something special, a little different. Uh, last week we had Brother Brad come up and, and give us a word. Uh, tonight we're going to have somebody else. Amen. And I'm uh, honored to uh, bring up here uh, Brother Andy Galan. Man, make him welcome as he comes up. Man, I know um, I need, uh, you know, he's probably a little nervous, but that's okay. Man, I still get nervous at times. So um, I'm sure he's got a big support down here in the front row. And I think it would really help him out if, uh, if Andy, if you fell asleep on him and started snoring, that would make him feel good. Amen. So we're excited. We love the Galans and all they're doing. And we're feeling... We know the Lord has a, a calling and a ministry for them. Amen. So we get behind Brother Galan as he gives us the word today. Praise the Lord, church. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. This is an opportunity that, you know, I take very seriously. Uh, the pulpit is not a place where uh, I don't like to play around at times. I'm very, very serious, and I'm, I'm glad for that. Uh, just because when we stand, we know that when we stand in a place where God dwells with his people, it's, it's a place where it's of holiness. And that's, that's, who, that's who God is. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so I'll begin. 
Uh, first, I want to thank God and give him the glory for all that he's done for us and continue according to his promise and his word. He is worthy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Secondly, I would like to give thanks, uh, give honor to our pastor, Pastor Locke, for this opportunity, as I said earlier. Thank you, Pastor Locke. Let us pray a moment. Uh, may God uh, have his way in us. Lord, we thank you for today and your word for today, your hand upon us, Lord, and the ministering angels that you have within the midst of your congregation. Your grace is sufficient. I ask that you would help me to speak here today, that it may bless the congregation and myself with understanding that we may learn together and understand your word as a body. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. My opening scripture is going to be, uh, if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke. Uh, oh, you can, you may have, wait, hold on, don't sit down yet, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 57 through 62, and I'll go through it. And it says, and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever soever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath nowhere to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. God. You may be seated, everybody. This is about 10 minutes, I believe. It might be more than that. I don't know. And if it's less than that, praise the Lord. <laughs> Either way, it's a message. Uh, the title of my message, it's a short message. I, I call it short message. It's the Plower's Focal Point. And I'm going to read off my notes because I'm not yet practiced at this, so please bear with me. We understand when we read the Holy Scriptures that Jesus is addressing three different individuals after they have claimed that they will follow him after they have done what seems to be the most important at time, at that time, to them, they understood, of course. However, Jesus responds to them in a manner that most people in today's society would not understand. But what Jesus was really doing is making a point. It seems at a time we forget about the important things in life. We, uh, we're distracted by the things, of, and of course, of our desires. We have, a t we have at times gone through this pit, but thanks to the grace and mercy of God, we can overcome it. Uh, we have uh, we have at times gone through. Oh, I already read that. So, so again, we see Jesus in the final response of the, of the three. So we see Jesus in the final response of the three. He says, "No man having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God." And before that, he says, "Let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God." So he is. And so we know very well that putting our hands to the plow is an important piece of our lives. We're all plowers for that sake. But also, he's, he speaks of the, bear, the dead burying the dead. I don't believe that God curses us for burying our dead. I think he, what he was saying, there's a, a thing more important at stake here, and that's preaching the gospel. So I'm going to speak to you a little bit about the plow, a little bit about something that I remember from my, uh, from my childhood. So I remember as a young man, images of the plow uh, in my, and I just, hold on one second. Jesus, there we go. Uh, in my, uh, there we go. Uh, past work life with my dad here in the United States. It was a tractor that I first remembered pulling. These are the plows that I remember at first. But then my grandfather, and then of course, then I start to reflect back. And then my grandfather on my mother's side in the fields of Guerrero, Mexico, where my mother grew up as a child. 
I remember being there young and seeing the thing. It looked more like a branch wishbone that was kind of laying there with a piece of metal attached to it, and it was always in my way. I wasn't sure uh, what it was at first, but as I start to remember the re and recollect these past two weeks, and not that I wasn't that I, I that hadn't thought about it before in in past times. It's just that at this specific time, I became aware of what it was and its purpose. I became aware of its, of its purpose on what it was meant for. It was designed to break up the fallow ground. This is the ground of a piece of, piece of land that is unplowed, that needs to be treated so that it can be used for farming. So the soil is plowed and broken up. But even so, in breaking up the fallow ground, there has to be a direction to go and be led to. So the scripture the Lord brought to mind was, John says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Even though we are the plowers, we must have a source of direction. In our direction, we must also give instruction. Otherwise, how will others follow? Sometimes your instruction might be to invite someone to eat, and you cover the bill. Other times, you just talk to them and listen to what they have to say. Just keep in mind that you're only breaking the follow ground. Hosea 4, 6 reads, uh, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. See, you have... See, if you have knowledge, you have some form of direction. If you have some form of direction, then you have a way, a way to follow. If Jesus says he is the way, then I have my direction. Praise the Lord. The, the scripture gives us many examples justifying fruits, trees, seeds, and what, wheat, which is related to farming as we know. But more importantly, God needs ready soil. Jeremiah 4.3 reads, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground. And so not among thorns. This is a very interesting piece of scripture passage because it speaks of two different things. One is about, it's about breaking up the fallow ground and the other one is about sowing. So cut by surprise on that one. I believe God has called us, the apostolics, to break up the fallow ground of the town so that we can plant seeds so that the fruit may grow. I believe that the prayers of the saints have broken up the fallow ground of Fort Myers. These prayers have not gone in vain, brothers and sisters. The word of God tells us that the former and the latter rain. The former rain would be a, a type of direction or type of direction or time. The former rain was a time of plowing and seeding. That means that there is no, there there has been a time of preparation. This would entail preparation of equipment that was been going going to be used for plowing the ground. We have been doing just that. So let me put it a little bit more uh, into better perspective. There has been preparation. We have rain. At this current time, it's raining, or we're walking in the times of rain. So this is the time of sowing. First rain, and now plowing and sowing. In the parable of the sower, Luke 8, 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So the rain itself is already the sign of God's blessing, but you have to be ready for it. Further down, Jesus says, Luke 8, 15, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart Having heard the word, keep it and bring it forth, fruit with patience. Bringing our reference back to the plow, now that we know that the purpose of the plow, there still has to be an operator that has taken its place. We are, the, we are the plow, to say that earlier. We need to operate it. Use it for its purpose. First off, you make sure you got to check it. you got to check yourself. Make sure the plow is functional, the time of use. Secondly, you must... You have strong animals, and don't, I'm not calling anybody animals, so hear me out here. Yeah. Animals of oxen that will respond to your instruction. 
Hear this. The animal is your faith. The animal is your faith. Where is your faith being steered to? Is your faith strong, as strong as an ox? Now, I know Jesus mentioned about having faith as strong as or the size of a mustard seed. But I'm comparing it to an animal here. Where is your faith? How strong is it? Is it being steered in the direction of the Lord? But I say unto you, which here love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. God calls us out to be as strong as animals, but more importantly, get a thick skin. There's some skin that has to come from this. If we cannot endure, then we're going to fall. Lord Jesus, uh, and, this, and we, we at times, and of course, I read the scripture, and we at times question the Lord, Lord, do you really have, do, do I really have to do this? And it's, it's yes. If we don't forgive others, then how, why would he forgive us? So we need to forgive others so that we can be forgiven. That's the only way to get into his glory. So I thank him for that. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. We may not be the chosen generation that Jesus chose to, become, to come through as Israel is. However, the Bible does say that we are adopted. And in being so case, the case, we are and have become part of this generation. We are the chosen. We are part of that. We have been engrafted. Thank you, Lord. You are the plowers. Look forward to the direction of the Lord. He is the main focal point. Keep your eyes set, set on him and take your hands off away and take not your hands away from the plow. And don't look back. I'm just glad that we're singing this song just now. It hit my heart. I know the Lord was speaking to me. He says, you know what you, you know, I put you up there. Say what you have to say and don't hold back. Speak to them. Speak to them in love. And I, and I, want, to, I, I want to say everybody, I love all you guys. I know this is a place of worship. And this is, this is the best place to be other than heaven. Heaven is going to be the next place, church. That's going to be this. So just a quick uh, point of reference. Uh, both Peter and Lot's wife looked back. I spoke to Brother uh, Pastor, and I, they said not to use it. Or if they, I didn't use it, they would use it. But I'm going to use it. So it says, both, both Peter and Lot's wife looked back. However, they both had different focal points. Uh, better focal points uh, should have, Peter's focal point should have been on Jesus. So when he was walking on water, his eyes were on Jesus at the first point when he stepped out of the boat. This is when he's on the, you know, he's walking on water, and he's, and he's full of faith, of course. But the moment he looks back, because fear strikes his heart, he sinks into the water. God doesn't want us to have fear. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us the spirit of power. Amen. Of love and of a sound mind. And that's what we need to keep. So we don't look back. Uh, then, of course, then we have, and, and just one more thing. Uh, Peter had one focal point. It was Jesus. Now, our focal point is spiritual. G we can't see Jesus, but we know that he's there. We know that he's there. And, of course, then we have Lot's wife. Lot's wife was another one. Both of these, in disobedient, and in, in turning their eyes away from God, they fell. Luckily, we don't have to worry about turning into a pillar of salt. I give glory uh, to God for that because if that was the case, well, we know what would happen. <laughs> so, so I stand here just saying thank you, Lord, you know, for giving us what we have. Uh, and, of course, I've already said I, when I mentioned the two difference between Peter and uh, Lot's wife was that they told Lot's wife, don't turn. But you could look at anywhere else that you want. Just don't look behind you. And that was one place. That was Sodom and Gomorrah. And when she turned back, she turned into a, a pillar of salt. But yet Peter, it was one focal point. 
But when you took his eyes off that focal point and looked into the vastness, it, it makes very, it, it's very clear that the Lord said, when he gives you a command, instruction, it's better to obey than sacrifice. So I just want to, I hope the Lord bless you with this word. Uh, again, you're all plowers. There are seeds that we need to plant. The ground is broken. We're going to go out there. We're going to sow some seeds. Praise the Lord. Pass it along. Amen. Do you believe that? We're all plowers. Man, doing the work of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Brother Andy. Great word. Amen. As uh, uh, we just got to be obedient, and sometimes uh, we are we are that animal, and God's got to steer us into shape because we're stubborn like an ox sometimes. Uh, and so uh, as long as we... And hopefully we know by now being uh, this long in the church, if you've been in the, in the church living for the Lord or any amount of time, you understand that uh, the sooner we listen and the sooner we obey, the better things get for us. Even now and then we have moments of stubbornness where we just act like we're new. But uh, we're not fooling anybody uh, but God, but ourselves. Amen. Uh, thank you for that, um, Brother Andy, and thank you, uh, Brother uh, Bradley, who did it last week, may we continue doing that to help train up the younger ministers and get them uh, fired up and iron sharpeneth iron, amen, and um, I got here through a lot of help and uh, going through their the ways that they're going through too, as uh, Bishop had patience with me, giving me those five minutes here and there, and uh, here I am, and now I can't can't shut up, so... Those are the good things to look forward to. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So we are going to continue in our series uh, that we've been talking about, uh, titled Declared and Delivered. Um, our uh, text that we are drawing from for this series is from in Isaiah 55 and 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so we've been looking into the, the Word of God, you may be seated, and how uh, once it has been declared and spoken, how the Word goes forth and accomplishes what it is sent to do. Once it is declared, at some point it will be delivered, it will arrive, it will be unpackaged, it will unfold and do what it has been sent to do. Last week we looked at the words, into the words that Moses declared in his dying speech, if you will, his last speech to the nation of Israel that he uh, walked around with for too many years. Um, and interesting, besides uh, basically foretelling Israel's future and how they would backslide and they would be carried off into another nation, how uh, God spoke through Moses uh, telling them that what was going to happen. But he also said in that declaration, as they would be carried off, he did say before Israel would return to Jerusalem, Moses did mention something that had to have happened, that must happen, uh, that there would need to be a witness to the condition of the state of Israel, to the condition of Jerusalem, to all of the judgment and despair that has been taken place, uh, remember that they would say, 
basically the, the, the witness would say, what in the world happened here? What happened to Israel? What happened to Jerusalem? What happened to the, the city uh, of God? What happened here? And the response would be, well, they didn't listen to their God. And, and, and Moses uh, declared that basically the stranger would come and say those things. But we don't have the stranger's testimony, but one stranger or one testimony that we did talk about and read about last week was a man by the name of Daniel uh, who witnessed the devastation with his very own eyes, firsthand experience of the devastation of Jerusalem as he was being taken away as a captive from the destruction of the city. And he described the devastation for us since uh, that is the account that we can go off of. And the one thing that needed to happen, that was one thing that needed to happen, as Moses declared, uh, before Israel could return. And there was one more thing that needs to happen before they would be able to come back to the land. And, and let's think about this from a perspective that you and I can probably relate to, and that is from, uh, from a, a home purchasing perspective. You found a house that you want to buy or you want to build. You found a piece of land that you have or, or desire and you want to build your dream home on there, which is nice. Uh, and so you, you, you put the deposit down and, and you're waiting to close and you can't wait to get into this new place uh, so you can move in and build, start building whatever it is. Uh, but one thing that the bank requires and does require is called a survey. They require a, a survey of basically, as you know, somebody's going to come out to this property and they're going to measure. They're going to measure out the property lines. They're going to mark out the distinctions and the demarcations and the setbacks and all these things. They're, they're coming out to survey the land, to look at the land, and to make sure that they line up with the property description, the legal description of this place that you're buying. Because as much as you may not want to pay for a survey, it is well worth the money. Uh, even, the, even if you never have to use it, the bank will use it, and hopefully that's the only time you really need to. Because if you were building your home on what you thought was your property, but turns out that half of your home is on your neighbor's property and the other half is on your property, because a survey wasn't done or the survey was wrong and this property, this line that you thought was the end of your property actually got kind of messed up. And so, uh, but a good survey will go through the records and the, go through the legal descriptions and, and, and mark off this is where uh, the property is, this is where your home is. And so uh, if it turns out that you're building on your neighbor's property, that's going to be an issue. Uh, it's going to be an expensive issue probably, a lot more expensive than that survey would have cost. Uh, and so if you're going to buy or build a home, you've got to know that you are in the right place, the right legal place for you to do that. And it, it's not any different back then with Israel because God is a by-the-book kind of guy because he wrote the book. And so he lives and abides uh, and is bound by his own word. And so he says in Jeremiah 31 through the prophet Jeremiah, Thus saith the Lord, If heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel 
for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Now remember, all that they did or they did not do is a big old list of things. But one of the things that we have been talking about in this series was uh, them not keeping the Sabbath year. Every seven years they were to take a break and shut things down so that the land could rest. That was one thing uh, that God commanded them to do. And God even said that I will boot you out of the land if you do not obey the word and if you do not take a rest every seven years. And so what happened? We know that God booted them out of Israel, out of the land, for 70 years. Why? Because he said so that the land can enjoy her Sabbaths. Uh, the word of God is, was declared and they did not stick to it and therefore the word of God came to pass. Uh, it didn't matter if it was to the people of God or it happened to the people of God. Uh, once the word of God goes forth, it accomplishes what it is sent to do. And so when this happened in 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar demolished everything. He, he burnt everything down. That's basically what they did back then when they conquered a place. They would burn everything to the ground. Uh, tore every building down, burnt it all down. And so basically now Jerusalem and, and Israel and Judah is now basically vacant land again. It's a desert. Everything has been ransacked and pillaged and destroyed. And so if Israel is going to come back and rebuild and build again, then uh, you would think that a survey needs to be done just to make sure, okay, this is the exact spot. This is the right place, the legal description of where they can build and to, to make sure they are in the right spot. And so Jeremiah 31, 38, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord, from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner. Verse 39, And the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill Garib, and shall compass about to Goath. And so God is saying that it's going to be built again as it's coming down in Jeremiah's day. He is prophesying, saying that the days will come when it is built up again, and there will be a measuring line that goes out before this happens, because again, you need a survey before you start to build. And so, the measuring line, that is the survey of the land that has to happen before you can build and rebuild again. We see this happening in uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 40, in, in the 5 and 20th year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, in the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year, after that the city was smitten. In the selfsame day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me thither. And so Ezekiel had a, a vision. Uh, God gave him a vision. And, and he's describing here the time frame. Uh, this is the year, uh, he says, fourteen years after the city was smitten. And so if the city was smitten in 586 B.C., uh, he is writing this in 572 when Ezekiel has this vision. And it, the vision goes on to say, verse 2, And the visions of God brought me into the land of Israel and set me upon a very high mountain by which was the frame of a city on the south. And he brought me thither, and behold, there was a man 
whose appearance was like the appearance of brass, with a line of flax in his hand and a measuring reed, and he stood in the gate. And the man said unto me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears, and set thine heart upon all that I show thee, for to the intent that I might show them unto thee thou art, thou brought hither, declare all that thou seest to the house of Israel. And behold, a wall on the outside of the uh, roundabout, and in the man's hand a measuring reed of six cubits long by the cubit and a hand breadth. And so he measured the breadth of the building, one reed and the height, one reed. Then came he upon the gate which looketh toward the east, and went upstairs thereof, and measured the threshold of the gate, which was one reed broad, and the other threshold of the gate, which was one reed broad. And so what's going on here is that Ezekiel in a vision is transported to the land of Israel because he witnessed, he said, hey, uh, we're captives, we're in this other land, been here 14 years. But God gives him a vision, transports him to the land of Israel, and he's looking up on, from a high mountain, and he sees down in what it looks like the, the outline of a city, and there's somebody there that's taking out the tape measure, and he's measuring the gates, and measuring the walls, and he's measuring the, the place where the temple is going to be. Why? A survey is being is taking place because of a new temple that's going to be rebuilt there, but before they come back, they, they have to to make sure that they're in the right place and dimensions are being taken. And so uh, that happened 34, or 14 years after they were taken captives after the city was destroyed. And so that was in 572. And so some time passes, that survey is completed, and uh, 34 years later, in the, in the year 538, this is what happens, we see in Ezra 1 and 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled because it was spoken and it has to be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also into writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem." This is an amazing thing that happened here that uh, for many reasons. Uh, back in the day when conquerors, conquered nations and kings would come in and conquer people and they'd be dragged off uh, as slaves to live in that uh, new city of, of the king, they never would. Why, why would they say, okay, my slave, you guys are slaves, now you can go back to your homeland and go live your life the way you used to live? It just doesn't make sense. It never happened. Why would you let your slaves go back to the country and rebuild their home? But here we see in this happening, and, and, and you want to talk about a, a power that took place, the, the power to move and transform a nation. King Cyrus of Persia wasn't a godly man. 
He wasn't a godly man. He didn't really fear the Lord. He served his own gods. He wasn't a, a, a Hebrew. He wasn't a Jew. I'm sure he could care less about what the Scripture says and what the words and laws of the, of the Lord were. But something caused him to make a decree that the temple in Jerusalem was to be rebuilt. Something stirred his heart to saying, I got to build the temple for the Jews. And I, let me tell you, it wasn't because the Jews made a bunch of Facebook posts and said, hey, the kingdom of Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt. It wasn't because the Jews went to the streets and were protesting saying, King Cyrus, let us go and let us rebuild the temple. No, what did it was, I believe, was the prayers of the people of God. God stirred up the heart of King Cyrus, uh, some, some evil king, and made him move, stirred his heart so that uh, he said, I have been charged with rebuilding the kingdom or the temple uh, in Jerusalem for Almighty God. That's the power that prayer can have. That's the power that prayer has when what can move uh, a nation, what can move uh, the president or the leader of a nation is when the people of God get on their knees and start praying for them to make the right decision and praying for the country. Mountains can be moved in prayer. National leaders can be moved in prayer. King Cyrus was moved by, I believe, the prayers of the saints of the Jews to say, let us get back to the nation of Israel. That's what this country needs today is more people praying, more people getting on their knees in prayer, more people reading the word of God, more people that are hungry for righteousness, hungry for a move of God, because that's what it's going to take to turn this country around. We can have all the protests we want, but if we're not praying, nothing's going to happen. At least not in the way that we're hoping. And so, it's, it's going to take prayer, it's going to take revival, it's going to take a turning back to God and His laws if we're going to see any kind of good progress happen in this country and in this world. Not electing more politicians to Washington is not our answer. No, what we need is more prayer happening in our lives, more prayer in our city, more prayer in this country, more prayer in our homes, and it has to start with us. If we're not willing to pray, we can't expect much to happen out there. So the Spirit of God stirred up King Cyrus's heart. And all of a sudden he says, I know no, nobody really does this, but i got to let the Jews go back, and I'm going to let them build this temple for their God, even though when we conquer nations, we make them worship our gods because our, we won the war. And so therefore, in those days, they believed that their God was more powerful than that nation whom they conquered. Uh, and they would often make them worship this, their gods. But all of a sudden now, something happens in Cyrus's heart where he says, i got to let them go and they're going to go worship their own God. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's a fascinating miracle that took place and it doesn't matter how far uh, Israel was. 
As the word of God says, it doesn't matter how far they were scattered. If my people would, would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, heal their land. He'll bring them back no matter how far they go. Why? Because they are people of God. They were in covenant. And whenever they turn their hearts in repentance and turn back to God, God will bring them back. That's what his word says. And so we see it happening. It doesn't make sense in the natural world. Why would King Cyrus let these people go? It doesn't have to make sense because if the word of God declared it, it's going to happen. It doesn't matter who's in charge. It doesn't matter who the king is. It doesn't matter who the president is. God's will is going to happen. And if, it, if it's been declared, it will come to pass. God can turn the heart of any person, any president, any king, any nation uh, if his will is for that. But many times with God and his will, things don't happen according to our plan. And so we get frustrated. We get upset. Things don't happen uh, along our timeline. Uh, and so we get discouraged and maybe we'll stop praying or, or we skip out on doing things as if that's going to do anything better for us. Well, he, what we need to do is to keep on praying until it happens because that's what God's looking for is people that are faithful, that are just going to keep on praying, keep on believing, keep on persevering no matter what happens, that we will be faithful to the Lord and his kingdom. And so when, when the survey was done in 572 B.C., we're thinking, okay, survey's been done. We're going to close in 30 days. And we'll be moving in uh, to the new place, start building and all this stuff. But nothing happened for 30, 40 years. And obviously uh, the, the people of Israel probably didn't realize all this was going on as it was a vision and by Ezekiel. Uh, he was told to tell others. We don't know how far it went. But basically we don't even know if they understood it at all. But we can, under, we can look back and say, ah, a survey was being taken. A survey was done. Uh, and so we know some things are starting to happen. And so, but the survey sat on God's desk for 30, 40 years before things really started happening. But that's okay because if the word of God has declared it, it's going to happen. It may not happen in your lifetime, but we have to understand and we have to believe that, hey, it's going to happen at some point. Whether I'm around to see it or not, that's not the problem. The issue is, is my faith in the word of God, it will come to pass. It will not return void. It will do exactly what it is said to do. All God wants us to do is to believe in his word. And so once the temple reconstruction began, uh, things started moving along and happening, and look what happens in uh, uh, Zechariah, the second chapter. I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now, the temples are is being built. It's almost finished, uh, and so Zechariah looks up, and he sees a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me uh, went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak 
to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. So what happened, the first survey was for the temple. And that was the first thing that happened when they got back. They started rebuilding the temple. And then while that's almost finished, another survey was ordered by God to measure the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because once the temple is built, then people are going to start moving back into Jerusalem. Uh, And so what we see happening is the word of God starting to happen, starting to come to pass. Because Jerusalem is getting ready to start rebuilding. Jerusalem is getting ready to see revival because the word of God. declared it and it will come to pass now that's all great and wonderful Uh, it 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 kind of reaffirms our faith and uh and God and his word but there sometimes there can be a disconnect uh with us in the year 2020 and with scripture that was 2500 years ago it's, you know, it's a great story, and wow, that's amazing how it worked out. But sometimes, uh, if you bring it into modern-day events, it really, really wows our mind. Not, not that it shouldn't, uh, but uh, if it happened back then, then we shouldn't be surprised when it happens today. Uh, and so let's bring this into the modern day. History tells us that Jerusalem was destroyed uh, again in 70 A.D. by Nero. Uh, just like King Nebuchadnezzar did some 500 years earlier, 600 years earlier. So Jerusalem is destroyed again in 70 A.D. The Jews were scattered all across the earth for centuries. And so um, this happened before, and so what are the things that need to happen if Israel is to come back? Uh, We know that according to the word of God, a witness testifying of the despair of the state of Jerusalem needs to happen, and two, a survey needs to happen. Just like it did in the year 550 or so B.C., uh, now that Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., and they were scattered again, if they were to come back, I would think that those two things need to happen again, a witness and a survey to happen. And, And so for centuries, Israel and Jerusalem was a pile of ashes waiting for that witness to come, or as Moses put it, a stranger to come so that Israel can start coming back home. And going back over those words that that Moses declared in Deuteronomy 29, so that the generation to come of your children that shall rise up after you, and the stranger that shall come from a far land, shall say when they see the plagues of that land and the sickness which the Lord hath laid upon it. And so, uh, obviously, a stranger from a faraway land needs to come to Jerusalem and testify of its conditions. And uh, this stranger will say, verse 23, that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning and that is not sown, nor beareth, nor any grass groweth therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. Even all nations shall say, Wherefore hath the Lord done this unto this land? What meaneth the heat of this great anger? 
Then the men shall say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God, their fathers which he made with them, he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they knew not, whom they had not given unto them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, and to bring upon it all the curses that are written in this book. And so that is basically what the testimony of this stranger is going gonna, is gonna to encompass talking about the desolation of the land and how it is destitute and nothing's growing there. So, in the year 1867, an American shows up in Jerusalem. Most certainly we can classify that guy as a stranger from a faraway land. America's pretty far from Israel. It's not like you stumble across and take the wrong turn and end up in Israel. Uh, So, For an American to show up in Jerusalem in the year 1867 might be something. Uh, This stranger was named Mark Twain. Anybody ever heard of Mark Twain? Maybe you've read about or read some of his stories, uh, a famous author. Uh, And so for whatever reason, whatever reason, Mark Twain decides in the year 1867, hey, I want to go to Jerusalem. And let's just listen to what he says about it since he's an accredited author. I think his words would probably have some weight to them. And so this is what Mark Twain, a stranger in Israel, said. Of all the lands there are for dismal scenery, I think Palestine must be the prince. Palestine is obviously was the land land it was known as before Israel came along, the nation of Israel. Uh, I think Palestine must be the prince. Can the curse of the deity beautify a land? Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes. Over its broods the spell of a curse that has withered its fields and fettered its energies. A desolate country whose soil is rich enough but is given over wholly to weeds a silent, mournful expanse, a desolation. We never saw a human being uh, on the whole route. Hardly a tree or shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. Wow. Kind of seems like Mark Twain was reading... Deuteronomy chapter 29, and describing the land that Moses said would happen. And this, this was, Moses was, what, almost 3,500 years ago when Moses said those words. And now all of a sudden, 1867, a stranger shows up and is talking about, look at this place. What happened here? This place is nothing but brimstone and desolation. So we have that one condition that took place. The stranger must testify of uh, the desolation and destruction of the land. That happened in 1865. Musician, if you would come. And so if that is one thing that we can check off and that we can really check that one off a whole lot better uh, than we could check off Daniel's because Daniel technically wasn't a stranger. Daniel was a Jew. But he did write down and testify of the desolation of it. Uh, and so 
uh, Mark Twain would most certainly fit Moses' profile of a stranger from a faraway land, talking about how nothing is growing here and it's just a, a, a land, a desolate land. And so if that is the case, one condition is done, then if the word of God is true and we're seeing a pattern that was established the last time they were scattered and brought back, then we would need a survey to be done for the land of Israel. Well, a British society group known as the Palestinian Exploration Fund decided to send somebody to Jerusalem. Let's just send somebody to Jerusalem and explore and excavate the ancient city of David. And so they sent a man by the name of Charles Warren to Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem and just look for that old city. Try to find that old city and write down what you see and, and dig, dig down, excavate. We want to find where that old city was and to find that old temple mount. It's, it so happens that Charles Warren helped discover the actual temple mount in, eight, in, in, that, in that time. They, they dug it and they found the tunnels through the temple mount and found uh, where the palace of, of King David used to be. That was all un, uh, undug and, 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 and discovered uh, by Charles Warren who was, just happened to be sent there. When you, and when did Charles Warren arrive in Jerusalem? Just so happened to be the year 1867. The same year that the stranger showed up, a surveyor showed up. I don't think that they, uh, they, they talked and say, hey, I'm going to, to talk about Deuteronomy 29. You need to send a surveyor out there to start measuring the place. I don't think that happened back then. Uh, and so the same year that Mark Twain, the stranger, just so happened to go to Jerusalem, so while Mark Twain was there writing about the desolation of the land, at the same time, there was somebody there that was digging around that ancient temple mount, taking measurements and excavated the ancient city. What are the odds of that happening? What are the odds of that happening? And just to add some icing on that cupcake you're thinking about, would you believe that they happened to stay at the same hotel? The Mediterranean Hotel, they happened to stay at the same place. You can't, you can't make this up. I'm not making this up. Go home and Google it yourself. Who would ever thought that Mark Twain went to Jerusalem? I, that was a shocker there. But he did, and he sold a book. One of his best-selling books back in the day was his account, his witness account of going to the Holy Land. Uh, and so the word of God that was declared 2,500 years ago or 3,000 years ago, we're seeing it come to pass in our day in 1867, a uh, little while ago. This just kind of, just by coincidence, kind of came together. The same time, the same year, in the same place, fulfilling two parts of Scripture. Why? Because if Israel is to return home, some things need to happen because the Word of God declared them to happen. If you stand with me tonight. And so the nation of Israel today exists because the Word of God said 
a stranger from a far away land must come. And it did. He came. A survey needs to be done. Measurements need to be taken place. Excavation of the ancient city to figure out exactly where these buildings were. Exactly where the temple mount was. Exactly the layout of the city of David. And it so happened that that took place. And so if it was declared, then it's going to be delivered. It will not return void that the word of God will come to pass and sometimes we're, 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 we're blown away when we hear about it or when we see it but we shouldn't be because we should be expecting the word of God to happen. We shouldn't be taken by surprise because we the people of God know that when the word goes forth it does not return void. It accomplishes what it is sent to do. Those words of God should comfort us today. The word of God is not finished yet. There's still some things in here that have not come to pass and so we should be looking forward to those things that are coming there are still things that haven't been fulfilled yet those that are alive today are seeing the very word of God come to pass and wrap up the, the, this end of the age things are being fulfilled prophecy is coming to pass just today a historic agreement was announced between Israel and the UAE, United Arab Emirates, where these two countries will, will open up each other, uh, their trade, and, and they're going to, this has never happened before, and all of a sudden today, things are happening. Now, we know this isn't the peace agreement between them and, and Palestine, but it's one step closer to things are shifting, things are starting to happen. We don't need to fret or fear. We need to look around, folks, Amen. because things are happening. The Word of God is Amen. happening. A stirring is taking place, and we don't need to be afraid, but we we need to be going forward boldly before God, believing that these things are happening because the Word of God is being fulfilled. And that means that greater things are in store for the people of Amen. God. We're just one step closer to the return of Jesus Christ, Thank our you, Lord, Lord and Savior. One day closer to seeing that end time revival take place. Why? Because it's been declared in the Word of God. And when it's spoken, it will not I'll return void it will accomplish it what it is sent to do aren't you thankful for the word of God in your life he's brought you this far he's not going to leave us or forsake us why don't we begin to give him thanks as we sing tonight as we worship him thank him for his word help us Lord to align with your word Jesus we worship you we thank you Lord for what you're doing and what you're going to do God hallelujah hallelujah our God, but our God is great. Sing with me how great His word is true. Is our God, and Hallelujah. how great it's forever settled in heaven. How great Hallelujah. is Hallelujah. our God! How great you are, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Name of God. 
some praise hallelujah blessed be your name jesus we worship you we praise you we magnify you lord how great you are you'll never leave us or forsake us help us lord to strengthen our faith in you and your word hallelujah hallelujah if these two people can just so happen to gather together in the year 1867 and do what they did after 2,500 years of the word being declared and coming to pass, what do we have to worry about out there? The word of God is true, and we're going to stand upon the word of God. Our salvation is, is based on the word of God, and that's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what's going on out there. We know that this is true. It's proven to be true, and that's what we're going to be looking to in these last days, looking to the word of God. That's where we take our, our comfort, our strength, is found in the scriptures. Amen. The more we read it, the more we study it, the more our faith is increased, and the easier we can face the day. Amen. Man, we have to be the people of hope in these last days. There ain't no hope out there. People are scared of what, what's happening. They don't know where to turn to. But we, if we, we are the people of God, we are the light of this world. Amen. We are to be a beacon of hope. Amen. To this lost world. And if we're scared, there's nowhere for people to go. We know he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, the power, love, and of a sound mind. If we keep that sound mind with the word of God, we'll be okay. Amen. Man, God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.